John chapter 4 and verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. As we open it today, I thank you that you open our hearts uh, and open our eyes to the wonders of it. Teach us from it. Lord, encourage us in it. Build us up in our faith as we hear it. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're able to take uh, my remarks and translate them to each heart as, as we have need today. Lord, that there isn't anything that you can't speak on out of your word. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I, you heard me talk about our question box, uh, the one for Wednesday night. And if you're not familiar, we have a box back in the back. And then also we've got a link on our Facebook Connect Group page. Uh, as you are going through life, specifically through this Christian life, as you have questions and things come up, as you're reading the scripture, something, hey, I don't understand or I'd like to discuss or I'd like to know more about, you can put it in there. You can do it anonymously or you can put tag your name on it. I usually encourage you to tag your name on it if you want to make sure you're here when we cover it, uh, because it's, it's kind of as the Lord leads. Um, but I can let you know uh, when we're going to go over that. And one of the questions that we got recently in the box was, let me see if I can read it out here. Uh, yeah. So in John 4, 21 through 25, Jesus talks about worshiping the father in spirit and in truth, but never really shows or goes into detail of what that actually looks like. And unless you, of course, you look at the whole of his teachings. Paul references something similar in Romans 12. Is that the same? What does this, what would this look like to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? And that's a good question. And as I was uh, looking over into that and thinking on it and getting ready for us to discuss it, it just kept growing and expanding. And, you know, during the month of January, we've been talking about things that, that hone in our focus and maybe give us a little bit more foundation to what we believe. It's, we usually spend time on that in January. And I was like, well, what better than worship? So let's talk about it on Sunday morning. Never done that before with a question box question. Uh, but I felt like this one was fitting because as I kept going into it, the bigger it got and the more excited I got about it. And I've learned that uh, when it's going that away, it's time to share that. Uh, so here we go. The setting of this verse, these verses there in John 4, Jesus is going from Judea out of Jerusalem, Judea, that area around Jerusalem, down to Galilee. And to get to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria, the region of Samaria. And he ends up in the city or the town of Sychar. 
And there in Sakar is Jacob's well. Sounds like the coffee house that we got over here, right? That's where it came from. Jacob's well, the well that Jacob dug there in Sakar, And he ends up there in the middle of the day. And he's tired from traveling and his disciples are going into town. The well is outside of town. The disciples are going into town to get something to eat and are going to come back. And while he's there at noon, a woman comes to the well to draw water. Now, we always make note that she came at noon, which is not the time that they generally went to draw water. Most of the women went early in the morning and they went together as a group to draw water. And she's come not with them, but she's come by her Self at noon to draw water. And as she comes up, Jesus, who's sitting there, he has no disciples with him. They've gone into town. He asks her, will you give me a drink? And she responds. She says, well, how is it that you would you are asking me a Samaritan for a drink when you know we don't y'all don't associate with us? Right. It was against the rules For a Jew to even uh, drink from the same water pot as a Samaritan, they did not get along. Now, why didn't they get along? Why didn't they associate together? There's a little bit of history there. We won't go all the way into it. But 700 years before, that's a while, the Assyrians had taken over that area of Samaria. And when they took it over, they moved in. And when they moved in, they started marrying the people that were from there. And they brought in some of their customs. They brought in some of their worship of false gods. And that mixed into uh, the area of Samaria, where they were children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now they've got the worldliness mixed in. And so the Jews always kept them set aside. They didn't get along. We all believe differently. Y'all, y'all do some weird stuff. We can't walk together in agreement. So for Jesus to ask her for something to drink was a little bit uh, was a way out of the ordinary. And she makes a comment on it and says, well, why are you asking me for a drink? You know, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Y'all obviously don't like us. And he said to her in verse 10, he answered and said, if you knew the gift of God, And who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him and he would give you living water. It's a strange answer, but it's a good answer. And so she looks back at him and she's like, you would give me something. She's like, you don't even have a bucket. This well is really deep. How would you even get water out of here to give me a drink that you're talking about? Are you better than Jacob who dug this well, who drank from it himself, who uh, gave it to his children and their livestock drank from it? She's going way back. She's like, this has been here for a long time. Are you telling me that you're better than Jacob? Well, yes. He is. And he's going to tell her that by reinforcing in verse 13, Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water out of this well will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water, water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal Life. He's like, when people drink this water, this is just water. They're going to get thirsty again. That's how water works. We know that. He said, but if they drink from the water that I will give, not not only will they not thirst again, but that drink in them will become a well springing up into eternal or for eternal life. And she says back, she's like, well, hey, sir. 
please give me a drink of this water so I don't have to be coming back here again. I don't want to come to this well anymore. I'd rather not. If you would give me that, then I won't have to. And he answers back to her, well, go call your husband and then come back. Right. And most of us have heard this story. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, well, you said that correctly, that you don't have a husband, because in fact, you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. So you've said it true that you don't have a husband. And in the verse 19, she says, I perceive you are a prophet. Now, I don't know with what tone she said this. I don't know if she said it like complete submission. Like, I perceive you're a prophet. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You just shook my whole world up. Or if she said it with like genuine confusion, like, are you a prophet? How would you know that? I don't know. Or did she say it sarcastically? Did she say, oh, yeah, yeah, you must be a prophet knowing my business. Everybody knows my business. That's why I'm here at noon and not here with the other people. I don't know how she said it. I just know what it is that she said. And she says this, you must be a prophet. And then she switches the topic and she asks him a question about worship. See, she might have changed it because she was genuinely curious, but it seems like he touched a tender spot in her heart and then she stepped back. Because the quickest way to someone's heart is through a wound. And he's engaging her in this way because he really is the savior of the world. And we're going to see that here in a moment. But she says this diversion question about worship. She says, well, you Jews say that the only place you can worship is in Jerusalem at the temple. But my ancestors have worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. So what's she asking him? Who's right? The Jews are saying, prophet, that we can only worship at the temple in Jerusalem. My ancestors have worshipped here for generations. Who's right? Who do you agree with on this? Now, here's one thing you don't get to do. You don't get to give Jesus what the options are. You don't get to limit him. And he pointed that out and he just blows it up. And he said, in response to this... Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and And in truth. So as we're looking at our question, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? We see him give this answer. And one of the things that I will mention, it would have been shocking for people to hear. It's not shocking to us because we're not there. And then, but the shocking thing would have been to hear uh, you're not going to worship in Jerusalem. You're not going to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. That would have been shocking for the disciples to hear. But as we're as we hear these words, worship and spirit and in truth, I think it's important for us to talk about what they actually mean, because that's going to help us as we determine our answer to the question. Right. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So if we start with the word worship, 
What does the word worship mean? If you look back over the last few decades of Christianity, American Christianity, church in America, the first thing that's going to pop in your mind is singing, right? Well, we just did. You know, the, the worship is a part of the service where we sing, right? And now singing is worship. Worship so much more than singing. Singing is just a specific act that is worship, but it's not all that worship is. So when you're talking about the word worship, it means primarily to ascribe worth or value to something. To point with your words, your actions, your thoughts that something is valuable or has worth. Another way to use the word worship is to bow down, that there's a reverence and a submission. And that's both the physical bowing down and or the, the, the spirit of submission and reverence. And then the Greek word, when, when it's used, uh, ha, has a very interesting uh, hook on this definition. And it, it, it's to kiss towards. To kiss towards. Or one of the best ways that you could translate it into English would be to puppy. Which isn't really a verb for us. But to puppy. You know how a puppy will lick your hand, get up on lick your face. Because they're so excited to see you. That is that type of idea when that word is being said. That, that's part of the meaning to it. And that's an interesting visual, right? But it means what attention and affection. Dependence and reverence. And then my, my definition is trying to put all of that together in a way that I can remember it is worship is thoughts and or actions that glorify God from a heart that loves and cherishes him. Worship is thoughts and or actions that glorify God, ascribe worth to him from a heart that loves and cherishes him. Now, when he said worship and when she said it, they wouldn't have thought of the first thing they thought of wouldn't have been singing. Because she said, y'all say we have to go to Jerusalem. My ancestors worshiped here on this mountain. So what they have in mind is going from where you are to the sacred place. And as they were going there, it wasn't something that they did spontaneously. You didn't just say, I think I'm going to stop by the temple on the way home. You didn't do that because God had developed a system for them to teach them something about worship. So if you lived 50 miles out, you were traveling down the road 50 miles with your sacrifice that you had already been thinking on, taking care of, getting ready. You're traveling down the road with your mind set on what you're going to do when you get there. What's going to happen when you get there. Your attention was already on it. They, had, they did have songs that they would sing on the way. They had songs that they would sing on the way back. It was more than just being there. It was the trip there and the trip back. They were focusing on what was going to happen when they were there. They were thinking about things like, I'm going 
to be in the presence of the Lord. Have I been living? I'm going to go to where his presence dwells. How am I doing? Like, where am I at as my relationship with him? Where's my heart, my attention, my affection? Do I value him as I go to ascribe worth to him? And see, again, he was teaching them something in this process about how important not only worship was, but their attention to it was. It was very detailed. And it could be a little bit too much. And we see that there were some questions. And he tells her that she doesn't know very much about the father. He's like, you worship what you don't know. Y'all are worshiping from a a position of being ignorant. Y'all believe some wrong things. You believe some things we need to correct. You, you, You don't know what you need to know. You don't know as much as the Jews know. Of course, we know how much that helped them. But he said, you don't know a lot about the father, but you're about to. And the time is coming and now is when you're not going to worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain, but in spirit and in truth. Letting her know that it's not about these locations. It's not about these geographic locations of Mount Gerizim or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's not about the location, but you're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. True. So we talked about the word worship. Let's talk about the word spirit. It says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That word spirit, while it's used to refer to God, is also used to refer to air or breath or the wind. Now, that doesn't mean that it's saying God is impersonal like your breath or the air or the wind. Well, God's just everywhere. He's in everything. He is and he's also has a personality and character and intentions and actions. But God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So where is he? Well, he's everywhere. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time, all the time. God, the father. So where should we worship him? Everywhere. Everywhere. Because again, he's not impersonal. And present, he's personal and present. So even when they were traveling to worship at the temple, when they were traveling to worship on this mountain, he's letting them know, letting her know he was with you even while you were on the road. He wasn't just waiting for you at the temple. He was with you. And so when he is with you, wherever you go, you can be in worship to him wherever it is that you Go worshiping him in spirit and in truth or according to the truth that he is making himself known that you're not being drawn off into all these weird side quests and things of the spirit. He has made himself known and in 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 knowing him, that is who we worship. We worship we worship him accurately or with knowledge because he has made himself known to us worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth to worship him, to ascribe worth or value, to bow down in reverence, to puppy, to kiss towards or any action or thought that glorifies God from a heart that loves and cherishes him in spirit and in truth, wherever you are, as he has made himself known. And there's a sincerity there to that when you're talking about spirit and truth. It's honestly 
or sincerely. And now you may be hearing this and she may have been hearing it this way too and, and thinking all of that sounds a little intimidating. All of that sounds like I'm, gonna, I, I'm expected to be in church all the time. And when I go to church, I feel like I have to be on. And if you're telling me I have to be on all the time, then I'm going to get exhausted. That's going to wear me out. You know, I go to church and put on my best and I go and I stand and I smile. And I try to put on my best face because that's what I believe I'm supposed to do. And if you're telling me I got to do that all the time. It's kind of like when you're talking to the kids about what heaven's going to be like and they can't picture anything except a church service that never ends. <laughs> and they're like, I don't. I mean, I know I'm supposed to want to go, but it's going to be church that never ends. And it's like, yeah, but you don't you don't understand what, what you worship, what you don't know. You're worshiping something that you don't yet know in full. So when you hear that, don't be intimidated. You may say, well, I sure liked it better when it was just singing. But even then, I don't want to sing all the time. Right. I don't want to have to feel like I'm always on always on point. How do I worship wherever I am and whatever it is? That I'm doing again, singing is a specific act and we will do that. We'll close our, uh, our time here today with singing because it's good and it's right for us to sing together, for us to sing alone. Songs and music get truth into our heart in a very creative and specific way and support us and encourage our soul in a way that uh, is unique and special and a gift from God. But worship is not just singing. You worship when you eat. When you sit down to a good meal that you're excited about, that's why we bless the food before we eat it. It's giving thanks to God. Why? That we had this in front of us, that we're not going to have an empty belly tonight, that we're going to be able to eat, but also that we're going to enjoy it. I'm thankful that not only do you give us food to eat, but you made it taste good. You have given us good things. When you sleep, it's, it can be worship. Amen. To lie down in peace and sleep because he's your refuge and your fortress. To have that reminder that you are not God and that's why you're tired and you need to lay down and go to sleep. But he is. And while you're sleeping and slumbering, he is not. And knowing that, giving you the peace to lie down. You you can sleep in a worshipful way. You can work in a way that worships God. He said, do everything that you do as unto the Lord. You can rest in a way that worships God, that glorifies him from a heart that loves and cherishes him. God, I thank you that you've given me the opportunity and the ability to rest from my labors and think on your goodness and your graciousness towards me. You can weep in worship to him. To go, I'm crying and I can't stop. I'm, 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 I'm sad because of what's going on. And tears are coming out of my eyes, but I know that you're here with me. And scripture says he sees all of our tears and, and, and counts each one. You can cry and worship to God. You can rejoice and worship to God. You can serve others in worship to God. It's an act or a thought that glorifies him from a heart that is honoring and loving and cherishing him. So when you hear that, that what he's saying is, I want you to be worshiping wherever you are 
in whatever you're doing. It's not an intimidation, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation because that's where we are going to find fullness of joy. And she didn't understand this either. In verse 25, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And what's she telling him? I don't exactly understand what you mean. I don't know what you mean. You're right. I I worship uh, and I don't completely understand, but the Messiah is going to come and he's going to reveal all things to us. Like it's not on me. I'm going to put it on him and he's going to come and he's going to reveal all things to us. And Christ's response was what? Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I'm the one who's going to teach you how to worship. I'm the one who's going to teach you more about the father. And we know from reading the rest of scripture, he's also the one that fits us, makes us fit to worship God the father. All those requirements, all those things that that the Old Testament taught them and and, and laid in front of them to teach them how important it was to revere and and fear and honor God. He's like, I'm going to teach you how to take that from here and put it on your heart. The Messiah is going to teach us all things. And so when we hear that, go, no, you need to worship wherever you are. And whatever you're doing, we don't need to be intimidated. We need to take comfort in that when we feel unworthy, when we feel unfit to be in his presence, unfit to be close to him, unfit to be around him, when we feel far from him, when we look at the temple in Jerusalem, because she said, y'all say we're supposed to worship over there. I don't feel like I belong over there. I don't feel like I'm even invited over there. We, we, we see other people in this Christian life and we put them in another class up above us. Like I, they're at the temple in Jerusalem. I don't feel like I'd be accepted there. And that's what she was thinking. That's what she was pointing out. <laughs> He's looking, Christ says, for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we hear that, we don't need to think, well, I bet he wants to go there first. I bet he wants to meet with them first. If he's looking for people to worship him, I'm not going to be the one that gets drafted first because we're used to meritocracy, right? We're used to who's the best. That's where they're going to go first. Who's the best singer? Because that's what worship is. They're going to go there first. Who seems to have it all together? That's where they're going to go first. They're going to be the top picks in the worship draft when he's looking for worshipers. And it's not going to be me. I bet he'll go there first. He wouldn't want me for that. And she may have felt like that. Very likely that she felt that same way, right? But where was he? Where was Jesus, the son of God? Where was he at? Was he at the temple in Jerusalem? Was he on the mountain, Mount Gerizim? Where was he? He was at the well of Jacob. He was in Sakar with the woman who came at noon by herself. The woman who felt like she couldn't be around anybody else. The one who certainly felt like she would not get drafted at all if the Lord was looking for worshipers. 
He was there by the well with her. He was there with one who needed a Messiah. He was there with her even though she couldn't reason in herself how that was even possible. She couldn't figure out how that was even possible that he would be there with her. She didn't say anything about that. She's like, people say we worship over there, worship over here. And yet he's right there with her. And so it's not about where you are or how, what shape you're in or how you are. It's about that he is there with you. He's there with you. He's not up there with the A-listers at the temple. He's, a, he's at the well at noon. And he ch- Jesus, flesh and blood and bone, he could only be in one place at a time. He left them to go to where she was. It's not about where you are. It's about the fact that he is with you. And they had this very brief conversation and then his disciples come back and they're like, what is going on? You ever walked into a conversation, you could tell there was something really heavy being discussed. And you're just like, and of course, they were like, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. Y'all are here. What is what is happening here? And then she leaves and goes back to town. Jesus explains to them about how the uh, fields are white with uh, ready for harvest. And she goes back to town and tells people there, come and see a man who has told me all I ever did. Come see this man that I think is the Messiah. That's a big word. So it brought out a crowd and what the crowd said in verse 42, we'll jump ahead because we don't have time to cover all of it. They told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves. And know that this really is the Savior of the world. That this really is the Savior of the world. So when he's saying you will worship the Father, not on this mountain or in the temple, but you'll worship him in spirit and in truth. You're going to ascribe worth to him. You're going to bow down. You're going to puppy God the Father. Your attention your affection. I'm so glad. That, what is a, why is a puppy doing that? I'm so glad you're here. I can't believe you're here. It's so great that you're here. Come here. Let me see you. Right? I'm glad that you are here with me. I'm glad that you're here with me. He's spirit, which means he's everywhere. That means you can worship him and be with him wherever it is that you go. Oh, the, well, the old King James word, we said it on Wednesday night a week or two ago. He's with you whithersoever thou goest. Wherever you go, wherever you go, he's present and he's with you. And we worship him in spirit because he's everywhere. In truth, because he has made himself known. He's made himself known. Bringing to the front what had been overlooked. That it wasn't about the location. He used that to teach them some very important things. But he's like, this temple in a few more years is not even going to be here. It's going to be gone. He's seeking those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So she said, they say Jerusalem. We think this mountain. Who's right? He's like, I'm right. You're going to worship him wherever you go. You're going to worship him wherever it is that you go. Is worship singing? Yes and amen. It's also so much more. It's loving him with all of our heart. With all of our mind. And with all of our strength. You're going to worship him with your muscles. With what you're doing for him and through him to help other people. Now the question asker said, does this have anything to do with Romans 12 and what Paul says there? Absolutely it does. We're going to talk about that next week. Because that was too much. It was too much. We're going to talk about it next week. But she asked him, she said, are you better than Jacob who gave us this well? What a question. She just teed that up for him and didn't realize it. And he didn't, he didn't say it haughtily or pridefully, but he did emphasize, yes, I'm the better Jacob. Jacob gave you this well. That's great. You need a well. You need to, you need to be able to get water. He's like, but what I'm going to give you that, that you will drink from, you'll never thirst again. And when you drink from this that I will give you, it's going to spring up in you. You know how that spring works or a well? It's just constantly water bubbling up. That's that worship idea. He's like that life that I am, I am giving you is going to continue to abound out of you. You're going to become a well. You're going to become something that is a blessing to others and a blessing to the Father's heart, just like this well that Jacob dug has been a blessing to the people of Sakar. Are you better than... Jacob, and he said, whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him into eternal life. Amen. So we worship him. He is God. In spirit, everywhere we go. And in truth, as he's made himself known. And the more we get to know him, the more we worship him. Because the more we see him, the more we love him. Amen. And he came, Christ came not only to teach us more about the Father and to teach us how to worship, but to make us whoever we are, wherever we came from, whatever is behind us, fit to be in the Father's presence. Fit to be like a puppy in dad's lap. That we can be not afraid of punishment, but glad to be there. Amen. Amen. As we finish today, I want us to uh, receive communion together. Tyler, will you help me in handing this out? He's going to bring it around. Because when we're talking about Christ fitting us for worship, again, we can feel unworthy. And we, in ourselves, what we can do, we absolutely are. Every single one of us. All of us, weak before Him, sinners before Him, broken before Him. He came, sacrificed Himself, taking on our sin so that we could take on His righteousness. So that when we enter in the presence of God, which is where? Everywhere. When we're in the presence of the Father, that we don't have to be afraid.
Because like it says in Thessalonians, He chose to save us through Jesus Christ. Not to pour out His anger on us because of our sin. So that whether we're alive or dead when Christ returns, we can live with Him forever. We can live with Him forever. So when we take communion, which again we've talked about before. It's a neat little thing what they do now. How handy that is. But there's nothing special or magic about... There's nothing magic about this. There's something special about the act. There's nothing magic about it. This came from Amazon. What is special is us proclaiming the dying and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ until we see Him and or He comes again. Because that's what fits us for worship. That's what settles in our heart that we are a part of His family. Amen. So you, I already hear some of you getting after it. That's fine. You'll see that you can pull that top part back and take the bread. And then you pull the second part back to open the cup. And get set there. And then I'd ask you to close your eyes. And we'll take just a moment as we get ready to receive together to reflect. It says, take account of ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Where's my heart at right now, Lord? Because we don't have to feel beat up, beat down, because you're holding the reminder in your hand, it's truth you can touch, that you're not worthy to be in His presence. You on your own. You never were worthy to be in His presence. This is what it took. His body and His blood, this is what it took to fit us, to fashion us for the Lord's presence. So we don't have to feel beat down or beat up, but we do want to consider what we're holding. What has been handed to us. So we're going to take just a moment. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And Father, as we hold truth in our hands, that your body and your blood were sacrificed for us for the propitiation of our sins. You took on our wrath and gave us your righteousness to be clothed in. Father, we believe it. We believe in you. That the Messiah has come and he came for us. He didn't just come for other folks. He came for us. And I thank you that as you took some bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Here, take and eat. Your sacrifice became our sustenance. Your suffering our joy. Father, we take of the bread today together, remembering what you laid down and endured for us so that we could be with you in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together.
Jesus, you took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. That would be paid for by your blood, poured out for us. Scripture says the life is in the blood. And your blood as a sacrifice for us. For the remission of our sins. I thank you that when we repented, when we changed the way that we thought about the sin in our heart and in our life, that it was able to have an effect because of your blood. We could have repented our whole life long and it not made a difference had it not been for your blood. We could have known it was wrong and sought repentance with many tears and not found it if it hadn't been for your blood. Our hope in life and in death is you alone. Your blood was poured out for us on the cross so that we could in you be made righteous. You were buried in a borrowed tomb but didn't stay there. You rose again on the third day to prove that your sacrifice was sufficient to ransom us and bring us home. As we hold again just a cup in our hands, I think that we also hold truth. And we proclaim the dying and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus until you return. Thank you for the blood that washes us white as snow as we receive the cup together in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. As we sang, who could imagine so great a mercy and what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory who took our sin and bore our shame. As we get ready to go, I thank you, Lord, that we do so in peace and unity with each other. I thank you that we do so mindful that when we go out, we're worshiping something put our heart and our mind on worshiping you. That our thoughts and our actions would be pleasing to you. And that the meditations of our heart would be a song that rises up to you. Lord, we don't want to feel intimidated by that, but we also want to feel the weight of how big you are. We want to see that goodness that you've poured out for us. And I thank you that it'll bring peace and joy and self-control. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.